would invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. I think it is in um, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones' book called Preachers and Preaching, where he says that during the Christmas season, you should always read John chapter 1 somewhere in the whole cycle of of readings. And uh, I would make an improvision of that, that I think in the whole uh, Good Friday, Easter celebration of the Lord's Supper, the verses of um, Hebrews chapter 10 are, are pretty indispensable in pointing us and directing us to the very core of uh, what we call the gospel. So this is Hebrews chapter 10. We'll read the first 25 verses. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, It can never, by the same sacrifices which are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, this is the inauguration of his ministry, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law, then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily in his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, uh, listen for the words faith, hope, and love. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Great reminder for uh, the, the wonderful fulfillment of uh, the gospel promises that have been fulfilled in Christ. I would invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9, we will read uh, the six verses of the text we're going to study, and then we'll read what we looked at last week, verses 7, 8, and 9. Hear the word of God. Wisdom has built her house, she has hewn her seven pillars, she has slaughtered her beasts, she has mixed her wine, she has also set her her table... She has sent out her young women to call from the high places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. Brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus, this morning we continue our study of Proverbs chapter 9. Uh, You might recall that I took us a little bit out of the normal flow of order so that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we would consider uh, these first six verses which uh, have this uh, remarkable connection. Uh, In fact, in the Gospels, Jesus tells two parables, the one of the wedding feast and the other of the great feast. And basically, it's verbatim of the words that we read here in Proverbs chapter 9. And of course, there's more here and there's more there, but it is remarkable. We've made the case that the, uh, that wisdom is the personification of the second person of the Trinity, the pre-incarnate Christ. And so on a certain level, we're not surprised that if he used this example, this illustration, back in the book of Proverbs that it would find its way into the New Testament uh, during his incarnation in ministry. In fact, in our conclusion, we're going to look at how uh, Jesus actually takes this story and tells us the resolution. Uh, How do people respond to uh, this invitation to come to eat and drink of the feast that the Lord uh, has provided? Well, this morning as we look at these first six verses, it's a beautiful, it's it's poetic, it's it's remarkable, it uh, it, it, it 
almost raises more questions than answers. It, it, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, we will hear about the wonder and the grandeur of the great spiritual feast prepared by wisdom. Uh, we will hear, I think you will hear overtones uh, of Christ's parable of the wedding feast and so forth. Uh, some of the words that we read here sound pretty familiar. Uh, uh, wisdom has said these things before. And, and of course, one of the things that um, you know we're told is repetition uh, accomplishes what? Well, it, it, when there's repetition, it's because it's important. Uh, it's a lesson, in other words, that we are supposed to learn and, and to lay hold of. And so it is that... Uh, as, as we hear these calls, is it a limited call? No, it's a, it's a broad, wide call. We might speak of the well-meant offer of the Gospel. Uh, whoever comes in here, whoever hungers, whoever thirsts, come, eat, drink, and you will find satisfaction. You will find wholeness. Well, wisdom, the personification of God and all that He has done, has supplied all that we need. What more, for this great feast that she has prepared, what more could she give? What more could she do? It's not unlike what Christ has done. What, what did Jesus do? He, in, in the fullness of the time, he, God sent forth His Son to be born of a woman, to be born under the law. Why? Well, that He might redeem those who were under the law, under the guilt of the law. And so Jesus, in laying down His life, provides this full, complete satisfaction, supplying all that any might hope or need. As we look at these details this morning, we will see how the foreshadowing of Jesus' words, and then, of course, how they are fulfilled by Him. But we will see this morning in these first six verses that wisdom prepares the great feast that will satisfy the longing of everyone who comes. We will see that she's prepared a great feast. We will see that she's invited all to come to this great feast. And then thirdly, we will see her admonition upon all those who hear. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She's slaughtered her meat. She's mixed her wine. She's furnished her table. Everything's ready. Right? What, what, what has she done? Well, the primary actor here is, is wisdom. Uh, in fact, uh, I guess it's my bulletin from, uh, from Omaha, the front page, I have these verses. I'm not sure you can see how many underlying words there are here. Eight times wisdom is referred to again. She, 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 she has done all of these things in anticipation of that which is to come. Well, as we saw in our study of chapter 8, we heard this autobiography, as it were, this self-description of wisdom, and it, we really concluded that, that, that wisdom has to be the personification of God Himself, certainly of, of, of the Christ. In fact, in uh, some of those verses that says, before there was ever the creation, I was there. Uh, when He made these things, I made these things. Remember John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. 
All things were made through Him. Nothing was made that was not made by Him. And so, is it wisdom? Is it Christ? Or is it the personification of the Christ? At other times, it's like the uh, wisdom is the Holy Spirit. Uh, if they would have called out to me, I would have poured out my Spirit upon them. Wisdom says. Well, certainly, uh, His agency of conveying and influencing the hearts and the minds of men is beyond dispute. Well, one little intriguing element, if we dig just a little bit deeper, uh, these six verses present at least uh, part of the content of these two parables. The parable of the wedding feast, the parable of the great, uh, the great banquet. And, and in these words, uh, who is the one holding the feast? It's the great king. It's the master. And so, as Jesus tells the parable, uh, God the Father is, is, uh, is the initiator of all of these things. He is the one who calls. And I don't know if it's a big deal, but the, the first word where it says wisdom has built her house, uh, it's actually a, a plural masculine noun. So you could say wisdoms, or what I think is a better translation, uh, the, the wise ones. The wise ones have built her house and, and have sent... Uh, these invitations and all of these things. Well, what preparations has she made? It says she built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. Uh, that's a little bit of a puzzle. Uh, but the pillars are foundations. They are the buttresses that support. And so I think the imagery here is that of fullness and completeness. Uh, it was Thomas Brooks said it's not unlike the seven churches of Asia Minor. Why refer to those seven when there are probably 700 or 7,000 others? Well, it's representative of, of fullness, of completeness. And so it, it, it is that, that wisdom has done all of these things. Uh, she's preparing a place for this, the, the, this wedding feast, uh, this big banquet. And if, if you want to think in terms of today, we're not talking about a 30 or 40,000 or maybe 100,000 size stadium where people can gather to see and witness. Uh, that would be far larger, far more. Uh, in fact, the scale of Solomon's dedication of the temple, uh, <laughs> it's just one of those, you read it, you think, wow, how is that even possible? Uh, this is from um, the dedication of the temple. And Solomon offered a sacrifice of, of peace offerings, and he offered to the Lord 22,000 bulls, 120,000 sheep, and I believe this great wedding feast of the Lamb will far exceed that which has already been done. And so it is that the feast that she has prepared is now in anticipation of those who will be invited to come. Look at verse 3. She has sent out her maidens. She cries out from the high places of the city. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come, eat the bread. Eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Those who are sent forth with this invitation, I don't think it's a stretch, represent uh, those who are evangelists, those who are pastors, teachers, 
And uh, they go and cry out, not in secret, but they go to the high, the high hills. They go to the intersections, the crossroads of commerce, and so forth. That they might come to see. In fact, I believe it was, was it a month ago we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 5? Uh, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that's the wrong one, um, uh, be reconciled to God as though God were pleading through us. We urge you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Well, that, that's the gospel message. And, and what, is, what is that message here? Well, look at verse 4. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says, to him come, eat of the bread which I have prepared, the, the wine and drink of the wine that I have danced. Might we be insulted here? This is talking about us. Simple. Those who lack understanding. Uh, I, I think this is part and parcel of the fact that we are all unworthy and in large degree fairly um, uh, ungrateful uh, recipients of the Word and the grace of God. He calls every heart. And He points out that He is everything. And, and we are just the grateful recipients of His kindness. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, what does Paul say? If you're going to boast, boast in yourself? If you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the apostle chides the Corinthians who were thinking higher of themselves than they ought. He says to them, what, and he says to all of us, what do you have that you've not received? And if you've received it, why do you boast? As though you didn't. Hey, I've mentioned this already, but my settled conviction is that each one of us should come before the Lord and acknowledge that fact in almost every prayer. Thank you, God, for opening my blind eyes. Thank you for enabling me to hear your word and to know your truth. Is that something natural? Is that something in, in, inherent to you? No. It's a blessing. It's grace. It's, it's His benefit to you. Of course, what are we talking about? The illumination of the Holy Spirit opening our eyes, instructing our hearts, renewing our, our hearts. And, and, and wisdom says, come and eat. Drink of the wine I have mixed. Appreciate what's being said. Do you deserve to come? Do you have some right to the table? You don't. He freely offers what we don't deserve. It's like Psalm 34. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. What, what God provides satisfies the longing of your heart, the desire of your soul, at, at, at the cost, at the expense, everything else. If you don't believe that Christianity is the only way uh, to, to a long and happy life, you don't really believe the Gospel. There's only one way. A thousand wrong ways. 
we need to not be, well, we want to cover our bases or hedge our bets right here, here, and here. No. Only one. Only one hope. One, one answer. One solution. The gospel and God's grace delivers like nothing else can. It is God's answer to sin, suffering, and death. Look at her closing admonition. Forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding. Forsake foolishness. Actually, remember what we heard about wisdom? The wise ones? Well, it's kind of just the same here. It's plural. Uh, forsake the foolish ones. Forsake foolish companions. Why? Because foolish companions will not help your cause, will not help you to stand. You know, maybe at some point your parent says, ah, you, I don't want to see you hanging around with that kid or that person. Well, why not? I like him. He, he likes me. Well, that may be so, but does he have your best interest in mind? You know, I think it's one of those deals like when, when our young people are dating and they get in relationships. You know, after a while, uh, we, we kind of lose objectivity. We do. And, and at that point, we have to be able to answer the question, who has, who has your best interest in mind? Oh, I love you, honey. You're, you're, you're the love of my life. Well, for how long? It, 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 doesn't, it, it isn't necessarily permanent. At that. What makes it permanent? Well, there's a reason why God has... Uh, has has set sexuality as the, the principal condition of being marriage. And are you wiser than God? I don't think so. But of course, God knows His word. He knows His His will and His way. And I think, in fact, in I pointed out one time that in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, about right in the middle of the chapter, there's this verse. I mean, what is that verse doing there? Uh, that, that verse says this, bad company corrupts good morals. What does that have to do with the resurrection? Why is that there? Well, it, who are you going to listen to? Who, who do you believe? How do you know uh, the, the best course of action? Well, you're either going to receive and believe what God says or not. If wisdom is knowing enough to do what's right when we're tempted to do wrong, then forsaking fools and foolishness involves a change of company. Those you associate with. Those that you abide with. Uh, the second part of, just affirms that, verse 6, this forsake foolishness and what? And live. Be capitalized. Capital L-I-F-E. What, what does the world say? Oh, you, you really want to live? You got to go out on the edge. You got to go do something. To, to live is to know God, your Creator. In fact, in John chapter 17, it talks about eternal life. You know what eternal life is? It's knowing the Father. It's knowing the Father. And, and, and I think that our age is just so full of of ourselves and what we think, what we want that. Uh, we just lose touch with that which is the really real and the truly true. 
the last phrase of verse 6, and walk in the way of insight. New King James says, and go in the way of understanding. Remember, Jesus confronts the woman, or speaks to the woman who was accused of adultery. He says, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. Well, after a while, they all, all her accusers leave. And what does Jesus say to this woman? Go and sin no more. That's what, he's just quoting Proverbs. Go in the way of understanding. Go and smarten up. Same thing with the man at the pool of Bethesda. Go and sin no more, lest a worse fate befall you. I think that we often minimize the essential, the necessity of the gospel of God's grace. I suppose the context of all this is that there is but one path that leads to life. Thousand almonds. What, what, what does wisdom say? Don't turn to the left or to the right. That's not so unlike the sufficiency of Scripture, is it? Don't add to nor take from the Word of God. Why? Because what it says is right and true. It's what we need. It's where God has promised His blessing. So what are we going to leave with? Well, I think you, you, you read a promise about this feast that awaits. And, and certainly this is New Testament. This is Revelation the book of Revelation type language, uh, the wedding feast of the Lamb, the, uh, the great celebration that awaits the children of God. Just think of it. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has entered into the minds of men what God has prepared for those who love Him. You want that? Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, has not entered into the minds of men what God has prepared for those who love Him. What God has planned for the future of His people will far exceed any expectation, any possible thought that you might have of what the life of the world to come will be. One, one la- two, two final things. In the parables that Jesus teaches using this imagery, using this language, he, he carries it a step further. He sends out His servants. They announce the, that everything has been prepared. The meal is cooked. The table is set. Now come and eat! Well, in the parable of the, of the wedding feast, people make excuses. Oh, I, I just married a wife. I can't go. I just bought a field. I have to go look at it. I just bought five yoke of oxen. i got to go try them. In the other parable, it's worse. It can be worse. They just ignore. They just ignore those who bring the invitation to come. They disrespect the God of heaven who has done all that He can do. See the sermon title? Wisdom's final appeal that all should come. That that God has done all that He can here we are to respond. 
And so it is that wisdom's final appeal indicates that she has done all that she needs to do. She gives only the best advice, only the best of counsel. And as wisdom comes to us in the Gospel, think of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, teaches us why. That the whole of our salvation depends on our conduct, right? No. That the whole of our salvation depends upon the one sacrifice of Christ. He has done it all. All means all. He has satisfied for our sins. He has covered us with His own righteousness. He has clothed us as His people. He has placed His blessing upon us. Might the Lord be pleased to encourage and strengthen us all by His word and Spirit. Amen. Gracious God, we thank You for Your provision. We thank You for Your kindness, Your love, Your patience. We, O Lord, would hold out not for what we deserve. We would hold out for that which we do not deserve, Your mercy. Lord, as we come and take of the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper, might it be an enduring witness to the fact that our salvation comes to us apart from ourselves. It comes from You. That we might learn and listen and love You with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to read with you the form for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Who do the elders come forward after this? Before? After? Beloved in the Lord Jesus, listen to the words of the institution of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat, this is My body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of Me. In the same manner, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. The Lord's Supper is a sacrament instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ. Until He comes again, it is to be observed as a continuing remembrance of the sacrifice of Himself in His death. The physical elements of bread and wine, representing the broken body and shed blood of the Savior, are received by true believers as signs and seals of all the benefits of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. They signify and seal the remission of sins and nourishment and growth in Christ and are a bond and pledge of the communion of believers with Him and with each other as members of His spiritual body, the church. As signs and seals of the covenant of grace, they not only declare that God is faithful and true to fulfill the promise of the covenant, but they also summon us to all the duties of the children of God and call us to renewed consecration in gratitude for His salvation. In order that we may celebrate the Lord's Supper to our comfort, it is first necessary that we properly examine ourselves. A true examination of ourselves consists in these three parts. First, let everyone consider by himself his sins and accursedness apart from Jesus Christ 
so that he may be displeased with himself and humble himself in the presence of God. Second, let everyone examine his heart as to whether he truly believes this certain promise of God that all his sins are forgiven him only for the sake of Jesus' cross. Third, let everyone search his conscience whether he is determined to show his gratitude to God the Lord all the days of his life by walking uprightly before him. It is my solemn duty to warn the uninstructed, the profane, the scandalous, those who secretly and unrepentantly live in any sin, not to approach the holy table where they would partake unworthily, not discerning the Lord's body, and so eat and drink judgment to themselves. Nevertheless, this warning is not designed to keep the humble and contrite from the table of the Lord, as if the supper were for those who might be free from sin. On the contrary, we who are invited to the supper come as guilty and polluted sinners. We who are without hope of eternal life apart from the grace of God in Christ. We confess our dependence for pardon and cleansing upon the perfect sacrifice of Christ. We base our hope of eternal life upon His perfect obedience and righteousness and humbly resolve to deny ourselves, crucify our old nature, and follow Christ as becomes those who bear His name. That we might take of these elements uh, to our good and God's glory, let's ask His blessing upon them. Merciful God and Father, we ask You that in this supper, as we remember uh, the blessed memory of the bitter death of Your Son, the Lord Jesus, You will work in our hearts by Your Holy Spirit that with true confidence we may give ourselves up more and more to Your Son, the Lord Jesus. That we may uh, offer our burdened and contrite hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit that they may be nourished and refreshed. With, this, with His true body and true blood, yes, with Christ Himself, who is true God and man, the, the only heavenly bread. We pray, O oh Lord, that we would no longer live in our sins, but that Christ would live in us and we would live in Him. And thus we would be partakers of the new and everlasting testament, the covenant of grace. O oh Lord, we pray Your blessing upon each one who is here, that You would supply us all with Your grace and mercy, that You would give us courage and conviction to live uh, according to Your Word uh, as we uh, face trials and troubles in our day and age. Oh Lord, help us to stand strong. Help us to hold fast. Help us to live with confidence knowing that You are our God and that we are Your people. We ask all this and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.